0: All right, so let's uh, let's go ahead and get started this morning and let me open with a word of prayer. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for the blessing of your day. We know that every day is the day that you've made, but we especially thank you for Sundays, Lord, where we could just stop from our work and the things that oftentimes take up our, our focus and our concentration and, and just have even more free time to come Mm -hmm. to worship you, to praise, to read your word, to to study these things. We pray this morning as we look at Luke that you would open our eyes to not only the truths of your word to feed our minds, but also, Lord, that you would uh, sanctify our our souls as well. Uh, God, that we would so come to love you, uh, to will, desire, to serve you, to obey you uh, more and more each day. Uh, Lord, to to put to death the sin, to, to fight fight against that. We thank you, God, so much for the work of your Holy Spirit that uh, works so powerfully within us, and we pray that all this would be done to to your name and to your glory. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay. Well, I can't teach without a whiteboard or without being able to walk around. So we're. This is what we're going to do. I'm, I'm, trying to figure out a way that we could do it where everybody could see if you can't see you can move over here but uh, anyway uh, as we get started I think Jacob has laid a good foundation for us in our class in terms of you know how to study the scriptures and even questions to ask and stuff unfortunately uh, I'm not quite as organized as he is to be able to give out the questions ahead of time but I do have some questions and I hope you've come up with some questions on your own about the text but Uh, He's also given us some good categories to think of, and that is grammar, logic, and and rhetoric, okay, in terms of thinking about the type of questions to ask whenever you come to Scripture. Now, if you've done inductive Bible study, now, Jacob may cringe when I do this, but uh, I mean this with all the best intentions, but just to give you other categories maybe that you might be more familiar with, uh, is if you've done inductive Bible study you might have used the terms observation interpretation and application and maybe those are uh, different ways of of saying the same thing but it's basically coming to the text and just sort of seeing what is there what's obvious thinking about the logic, the relationships, of ideas, and then the rhetoric, being able to not only apply that, but also to express that, too, as well. So this morning, we're going to look at Luke chapter 13, so if you open your Bibles, and then we'll look at Luke 14, too, as well. Um, But Luke 13, um, let me uh, just begin by reading the Word, and then I may stop partway through and see if somebody else wants to read some, as well. There were some some present at the very time who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And he answered them, Do you think that the Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. For those 18 on whom the tower of Siloam fell and killed them, Do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And he told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. And he said to the vine dresser, Look, for three years now I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree, and I find none. Cut it down. Why should it use up the ground? And he answered him, Sir, let it alone this year also until I dig around it and put on manure. And then, if it should bear fruit next year, well, and good. But if not, you can cut it down. Now, he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath, and there was a woman who had a disabling spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and and could not fully straighten herself. And when Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her, Woman, you are freed from your disability. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight, and she glorified God. But the ruler of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, said to the people, There are six days in which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be healed, and not on the Sabbath day. Then the Lord answered him, you hypocrites, does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to water it? And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for 18 years, be loose from this bond on the Sabbath day? As he said these things, all his adversaries were put to shame, and all the people rejoiced at all the glorious things that were done by him." He said therefore what is the kingdom of God like and to what shall I compare it it is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his garden and it grew and became a tree and the birds of the air made nest in its branches and again he said to what shall I compare the kingdom of God it is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour until it was all leaven he went on his way uh, through towns and villages, teaching and journeying towards Jerusalem. And someone said to him, Lord, will those who are saved be few? And he said to them, Strive to enter through the narrow door, for many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. When once the master of the house has risen and shut the door, and you begin to stand outside and to knock at the door, saying, Lord, open to us. Then he will answer you, I don't know where you came from. Then you will begin to say, we are uh, we are and drank in your presence, and you taught in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I don't know where you come from. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. In that place, there will be weeping, and nation of teeth. And when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves cast out, and the people will come from east and west and from north and south and recline at the table in the kingdom of God, and behold, some are last who will be first, and some are first who will be last. At that very hour, some Pharisees came and said to him, "Get away from here, for Herod wants to kill you." How often I would gather your children together as hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you would not. Behold, your house is forsaken, and I tell you, you will not see me until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Okay, as we, as we look at chapter 13, let me just ask some questions just to sort of get us uh, looking at the text and stuff. Uh, in verses 1 through 5, Uh, What did Jesus tell his followers to do? Repent. Exactly. To turn away from their sins. In verses 6 through 9, for three years the vine dresser came looking for what? Fruit. 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 Wanted to see what fruit there was. In verses 10 through 17... Uh, what disability did the woman have for eighteen years? Show her or something. Yeah, yeah. She was she was it says that she was bent over and, and couldn't fully straighten herself. And so what did Jesus do for her? Healed her. He healed her, exactly. So uh, in verses eighteen through twenty one, what did Jesus say the kingdom of God is like? Grain of mustard seed. Yeah. What else? Leaven. Yeah. It's like leaven uh, that a woman took. And then in uh, verses uh, 22 through 30, um, what did Jesus say we should enter through? Yeah, the narrow door, not the wide door. You know, Matthew talks about the wide path and the narrow path. Um, Wow, never had a musical uh, company like this. That's awesome. Okay, verses 31 through 35. What is Jesus' response to Jerusalem's actions against the prophets of God?
1: He kind of weeps
0: over them. They would repent, but they they won't do it. Yeah, exactly. So he's just... uh, He's heartbroken over that. Was there some other observation questions that, that you had as you sort of worked through this text this week that you wanted to share or, or ask? Okay. <laughs> okay. Well, let's let's look go back through this again and let's look at some look a little bit more deeply. You know, as you, as you look at. Uh, verses 6 through 9, the parable of the barren fig tree, and and sort of compare that with what we read in verses 1 through 5. How how do verses 6 through 9 relate to verses 1 through 5? I think
1: uh, it's an expression of God's patience mm-hmm. people willingness to give time to repent and produce fruit.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's it's first of all God's patience, but it's also in that patience, we shouldn't interpret that to mean well it ought to just be business as usual. There's also a call to repentance, to turn from sin and to to be disciples of Christ. So um in verses 10 through 17, what uh, similarity did those who were under the teaching of the religious leaders have in common with the woman who was healed by Jesus? This is where the woman was uh, brought before Christ, and and uh, she was she was healed. So, what similarity do we see between uh, those who were under the teaching of the religious leaders and the woman that had this sickness.
2: Because Jesus is The woman glorified God, I'm looking at verse 13. Okay. And the people were, they rejoiced at his teaching, unlike the Pharisees who were yeah. quite angry at his healing.
0: Sorry. <laughs> they were
2: quite angry at his healing. Yeah.
0: Now, why do you think they rejoiced? because they saw God's power at work, you know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, as I, as I was looking at that, I was, I was thinking in, in many ways, uh, this woman was in bondage to this sickness or this illness, whatever it was that, that she had. But in, in another sense, uh, the people that followed the religious leaders were sort of in bondage in one sense as well. You know, and Jesus was coming to to set them free because they the religious leaders, as we've talked about in the past, as we've talked about Sabbath day incidences, that they would bring in their tradition, you know, as the truth, and so there was a a lot of uh, bondage, and they weren't able to live in the freedom that the Word gives us. Um, Any other questions about? Logic about those first couple of, of sections that, that you had as you. So now we're going to see what is going to happen. Now, are you ready?
1: Chapter one, verse one. If you have
3: the
1: What do you think back in verses one through five? I mean, what what is Jesus' main point with these examples that he's there? So talking about the tower
0: that fell, where they were sinners. Yeah. Well, so what what was the point that Jesus was making in in referring to these contemporary circumstances that were happening? Is that sort of what you're asking, Jacob? Yeah.
1: People sometimes do this. I mean, today with things right. like you know, hurricane, you know, or whatever. Some big tragedy, and they say, "Well, is this is God's judgment, specifically on this these people." You know, and it seems like a similar yeah. notion. You know, right? And I just, it seems like Jesus' point is like, "Well, it's not always a one-to-one correlation." Yep. But there is a truth that those who do not repent will also perish, just as they did.
0: Yes. Exactly.
1: So death, death, and judgment's coming to all. Are you ready?
0: Yeah. It's not just that these people were worse and so they deserve God's wrath and you don't. We all, it's coming upon all of us who don't repent. Exactly. Any other great questions? Any other logic questions on these first couple of sections? Okay, well then look at verses 18 through 21 where he talks about the the mustard seed and and the leaven. Uh, What... What was Jesus trying to teach about the Kingdom of God? What was he trying to help his followers to understand about the Kingdom of God?
1: It seems like both illustrations have something to do with something that starts off small, right? Yeah. Like a small mustard seed and then like just a little bit of leaven and a lot of dough. Then it expands and it gets huge and takes over. So it seems like he's saying that there may be small beginnings amongst his disciples, but it'll reach out into the whole world.
0: Yeah, exactly. And and you know, of course, they didn't have any idea, couldn't fathom, you know, what that how far that would expand and stuff. But um, it does it does raise an interesting question if you look down at uh, verse twenty three. Uh, you know someone then said to him Lord will those who are saved be few you know it's like well how big is this kingdom going to get you know is it going to be just a, a few or is it you know because it is very humble beginnings or is it going to be rather large and if so how large uh, will it be um, so what looking at verses uh, 22 and, and following, why is it significant that Jesus went through villages, you know, the towns and villages on his way to Jerusalem? Now, it's not in the, it doesn't tell us in the, the text per se, I'm just sort of, it's just sort of something that...
3: Well, earlier it said he sent out the 72 to places he was going to go. Right. So he's going to the places that
0: he planned to go that he sent them to. Exactly. Exactly. And and he is going there, in, in sort of in the, the vein of the rest of the, the theme of this chapter, he's going to those villages and calling the people to repent and to believe as well. And so... He had sent out his disciples ahead of time, and now he's going and, and he's calling them to to Israel to repent. Um, so in verse 23, you know, then this person and it doesn't tell us who it is, you know, pops up and says, "So Lord, will those who are saved be few?" Um, did did Jesus uh, really answer the person's question? Yeah, Not really. Okay. Kind of like the
2: question with the tower. It didn't.
3: Say no, they're not less. He's, he went on and said, "Hey, you're all going to face death," and then he cut So and no, he said, "This is how there will be."
0: Those who are saved. Yeah. By
2: entering through the narrow gate.
0: Mm-hmm. So yeah, what else? So he doesn't
1: say it. He doesn't really answer the question directly, but he does definitely say that there'll be many who seek it. But right so I mean it may not be few but there may be a lot right who, who don't who who thought they were after it. You know? yeah
0: exactly and so, and so you know I because Jesus had large crowds that were were following him of course the more he moved towards Jerusalem the the crowd seemed to, to dwindle and stuff but still there were many who followed and and he's sort of challenging them that you know especially those that are religious or you know see themselves as spiritual but you know is it that they truly truly believe well
2: it does in 29 as a kind of an implication that it's going to be people outside of Israel yeah going to come, going to come. prior to that it's talking about how little the ones that are going to try to get in but don't go the right way and they cast in the hell and well well, they're going to be people from the outside Gentiles, exactly, and they're going to get in, you know, the Israelites,
3: some of us, we're not going to make it. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's
2: like prodding. I mean, it's like poking the bear, of like you're really getting at <laughs> it. You think you're great, you think you're awesome, well, you're not even in
3: the kingdom. Yeah. People from um,
2: other nations that you think are disgusting are going to make it in. Yeah. And it's very.
0: It, go ahead, Katie. I
3: was just say, could it not be too that, I mean, sort of the reason is, just just very rarely answers the direct question, but that the reason is because he's asking the wrong question. It could even be, I and mean, we don't know the background of this person, but it could even be that that's sort of what he's hinting at of, of asking, you know, is it going to be to you? Is it going to be the chosen this select, or whatever? And he's saying you're asking him the wrong question. You need to focus on. Your own heart and your own self, versus yeah, concerning yourself with all of us and who's going to be included and not included.
0: Yeah, well, you think about the study that we just did in James. You know, I mean, I think I think is even as Christians, our temptations can be to think in broad theological terms. You know, this is true or that's true, and you know, rather than bringing the, the Word of God and what the Word teaches down to where we live. And, you know, but James does just a, a phenomenal job of that. And and likewise, Jesus uh, does that as well, you know, to, to really challenge us. So um, what do verses 22 through 30 have in common with verses uh, 1 through 9? We've all... We've probably already sort of answered that a little bit, it's just that, that this whole theme of, of a call to repentance, you know, for for Israel. Um, so, uh, what does it mean in, in verses uh, 33 through, uh, well, verse 33, what does Jesus mean by the phrase, it cannot be that a prophet shall perish away from Jerusalem?
4: of the persecution and martyrdom of the prophets has largely been, you know, that the Jewish people are the ones killing them. And it's you know, largely centered around Jerusalem. So, yeah. Um, usually, you know, people outside, you know, they're they're not gonna they're not gonna mess with the prophets. But it's uh it's the people of Jerusalem who are rejecting God's message. And God sends a prophet to them, yeah. warns them, turn from your evil ways and seek after me. And they're like,
0: let's kill this guy. <laughs> exactly. So does it doesn't mean that a, a prophet uh, can't be killed outside of Jerusalem or something. There, there's many examples in scriptures. Yes. Susan, did you have? Sorry. No. Oh, okay. No, that's fine. Also, so
1: Jerusalem though, also is somewhat representative of the, the leadership of Israel. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, I mean, it seems like outside and away from... The leaders of Israel, uh, prophets are given more of a fair hearing, but but the prophets typically challenge the authority of the current established leaders. You know, yeah. because they're the ones leading the people astray.
0: Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that that that's a sobering thought for anybody who's a, a leader of the church. You know, um, just. In terms of how we're shepherding, I know Ezekiel talks about that, and and sort of rebukes the, the leaders, the elders of Israel for their unfaithfulness and for using the sheep and stuff. But yeah, so what what uh, what challenge comes to us today then uh, from Luke 13 as we as we think about this and and uh, you know what this is saying to us today uh, here at Kirk of the Plains? In the 21st century.
3: You definitely have a,
4: a theme running through here of basically the established religious position with their assumptions about the way things work mm-hmm. um, and Jesus coming and challenging those things. And you know, and
3: them basically not wanting to hear it, but you know, but him, you know, calling them to, to repent and to turn to him. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean it's
4: like we, we do need to be careful that we don't just like, okay, here's our religious tradition, this is the way we've always viewed it and not um not be constantly going back to scripture and saying what does God say? Yeah. And do we
0: need to turn
3: from anything that we're doing um, or thinking or whatever,
0: and return to what God actually said? Yeah. yeah. Sometimes we can fall into a trap of just sort of living the Christian life the best way we know how. You know, doesn't that sound like that? that ought to be the title of a book or something? Mm-hmm. Anyway, uh, you know, just sort of living that way, and and you know, in doing that, we can sometimes even drift from the Word of God and what it says. But yeah, we still sort of feel religious and sort of justified in the things that we do because, you know, um, but, and, but not being careful. But it is interesting, you know, as you look at the way that God spoke to his prophets or as he called to, to, to lead Israel is that, you know, just like with Joshua, don't turn to the left or to the right, you know, but, you know, follow his word, you know, straight on. There's just that sense of, of carefulness and preciseness about the word of God. You know, but anyway, any, anything else? Uh, okay, well, let's look at uh, chapter 14 then. Um, would somebody want to uh, read that chapter or part of the chapter and then somebody else can pick up where they left off? Jacob, would you? Sure, yeah.
1: One Sabbath, when he went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees, They were watching him carefully. And behold, there was a man before him who had dropsy. And Jesus responded to the lawyers and the Pharisees, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. Then he took him and healed him and sent him away. And he said to them, Which of you, having a son or an ox that has fallen into a well on Sabbath day, will not immediately pull him out? And they could not reply to these things. So that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. He said also to the man who had invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed, because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. When one of those who reclined at the table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. But he said to him, A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant Then the master of the house became angry, and said to his servant, Go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city, and bring in the poor and crippled and blind and lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you command has been done, and still there is room. And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and hedges, and compel people to come in, that my house may be filled, for I tell you, none of those who were invited shall taste my banquet. Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him. And saying this, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going out to encounter another king in war will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with ten thousand to meet him who comes against him with twenty thousand? And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, any one of you who does not I'm sorry, does not renounce uh, all that he has, cannot be my disciple. Salt is good, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is of no use either for the soil or for the manure pile. It is
0: thrown away. He who has ears, let him hear. Wow, a lot, a lot there. So, um, what questions did you have? In terms of just observation, as you as you looked at this text this week, what day is it? Yeah, what day? What day did this occur on? That's sort of an important thing, isn't it? So what day was it? Yeah, it was a Sabbath day, exactly. Uh, what other questions? What what question did Jesus ask the lawyers and Pharisees? Yeah. Have you ever heard that question before? <laughs> yeah. You know, we just we just looked at that in, in chapter in chapter 13. Well um, I think it's funny
3: that they asked that or that they have no answer to it when obviously before this they've insinuated that it's blatantly wrong to do. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Exactly. It's their their silence speaks volumes in, in one sense. Um. All right. What about in uh, the? Well, you know, let me just ask you this: What what is sort of the uh, the location, or you know, where does where does this chapter take place? In the house of a ruler of the Pharisees. Yeah, I mean, if you look at uh, if you look at verse twenty-five, it talks about now great crowd crowd accompanied him and he turned and said to them so in that part Jesus was somewhere else but the whole rest of the chapter is really takes place in the house of this this Pharisee or this uh, ruler um, so in verses uh, 7 through 11 where where did uh, where was oh yeah can't read my writing. Oh, well. Uh, who was it that Jesus said that uh, the people should invite to um, to the banquets and stuff? Oh, wait a minute. Let me back up here. I'm getting ahead of myself. And in verses 7 through 11, um, what... Uh what place should people seek? We have
3: two
0: options, right? The place of lowest honor or least honor. Yeah. The place of, of lowest honor or or least honor. Exactly. Right? Um What happened if you repent? you know what is repairs? Repentance is What about uh in the great banquet, who who is it that they should invite to come.
3: The born, the crippled, the lame, the blind. Yeah,
0: it's not the people that you would necessarily expect. Those who can't repay them, those have nothing to give. Yeah, yeah, it's just it's people that you really can't get anything from, you know, whether it be money or status or or whatever it might be. Um, so, when when somebody heard this, what did they ask Jesus? Or what what statement did they make?
3: You know, is that dependent? Said, so "Blessed is everyone who will
0: eat bread in the kingdom of God." Yeah, blessed is everybody who. And uh, in response to that, uh, what did Jesus uh, do or say? How did he reply to that statement? He tells a parable, doesn't he?
3: Talks about how many were invited but were too busy.
0: Yeah exactly and then in, in verses uh, 25 really to the end of the chapter but 25-33 through 33, um, who was Jesus speaking to crowds okay. That were with him. okay, the crowds that were with him and uh, what was sort of the, the theme of what he talked to them about Yeah, the cost of discipleship. So, uh, any other observation questions that, that you had that just really stood out to you this week as you were reading through this chapter? Well, um, who does he tell us to hate? Yeah, that's a that, good point. Who does God tell us to hate?
1: Father, mother,
0: wife, children, brothers, sisters, even our own life. Yeah, exactly. We're going to come back and look at that a little bit and see what that means and stuff. Um, All right, any other questions? Okay, just going back to chapter, beginning to chapter 14. um, You know, if, if we just read in chapter 13, verses 10 through 17, we read of Jesus healing the woman on the Sabbath. You know, why do you think Luke includes uh, another similar situation uh, just in the next chapter? It
3: strikes me that
1: this is. One of the most obvious, or at least from Jesus' point of view, this is one of the most obvious, constantly violated principles by the Pharisees. Yeah. He seems to harp on it more than almost anything, because maybe you see so much abuse on this very front. Yeah.
0: And maybe just even a spiritual pride that comes because they keep, you know, the Sabbath, you know, or they keep their rules or whatever.
1: Well, I think, you yeah, know, they're all about law-keeping, and that's what they say anyway. Right? Yeah, you know? exactly. And... Uh, but here they constantly are misinterpreting this law to violate other laws. You know, it's God requires mercy, not sacrifice. Those kind of things. You know yeah. What I mean, so it just seems like their most obvious hypocrisy is that they are not caring for people uh-huh. because they want
0: to honor God. Yeah. Yeah. You know? And and it and you and you look at this. It's interesting because you know it says that they were watching him. Carefully, you know, it sort of implies the fact that you know they're they're maybe even sort of setting a trap for him or just seeing what he can do so they can sort of analyze it. Maybe they could they could pounce on it. And and I don't know if it's uh, if you caught this or not, but it just is. Verse two, I think, is just a very interesting verse, and it says, "And behold, there was a man before him who had dropsy." Okay, now you know, I don't know. Maybe it was. One of the friends of the, the person who, you know, the Pharisee who owned the house. I don't know. You know, some people speculate that maybe they had brought this man in, you know, on purpose to, to sort of trap Jesus and just knowing his propensity and his compassion towards others to sort of see if he would heal him or not. I mean, the, the text doesn't really say, but it's just interesting that, that detail there that that there's someone there with the drops you that it's that sense of fluid building up in the person, and and of course Jesus heals him. So what do you think that the silence uh, that the Pharisees, Katie mentioned that earlier, you know, sort of this glaring silence that, that occurred, um, you know, what's significant about that?
2: Before they're saying you can't heal on the Sabbath, they know. I mean, they know the answer that Jesus wants to hear. Yeah. They can't say that because that's pitting them against their own what they've previously done in their own tradition yeah so it's kind of like okay answer me according yeah. to your tradition I can't heal this guy yeah they can't say that because then it'd just be they're the, they're on the defensive now they're the ones being questioned usually they're trying to trip up Jesus right now they're gonna kind of, move oh, if I say this wrong look like I'm really inconsistent. so we'll just be quiet here you know.
0: Yeah, because he he talks about how you know, you even treat your animals well on the Sabbath. If they're in need, you're going to help them out. I mean, you're animals. You do that. There's no question about that. And yet, you're not willing to to heal someone or to see someone be healed on the Sabbath day.
3: You kind of see a progression because back in chapter 6, you saw them trying to watch and see who's going to heal on the Sabbath and think that's something they accuse him with. Right. And then, you know... And then in 13, then they're
0: indignant. But now in 14, they're hesitant to speak up. Yeah. And I, I think 13 interesting, you know, that the religious leader would be so bold as to stand up and say, you know, God's given us six days to heal you, you know, but on the seventh day, we're not going to do that. You know, that's just, yeah, anyway, that's just, it's interesting. Which would
1: be one thing, maybe, if they were going out of their way the other six days, really. Yeah, <laughs> exactly.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's that's a good point. Okay, uh, the the parable of the wedding feast in seven through eleven, uh, you know, he tells this this parable to those who were invited. So now he's turning to the guest of this Pharisee that had invited everyone, and he says, uh, when you're invited by someone to a wedding feast, don't sit down in a place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited and he who invited you uh, both will come and say to you give your place to this person and then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place uh... so then he tells him to sit at the lowest place well this is this is what they meant typically uh... i'm a terrible artist so this is supposed to be sort of like the setup at least this is how it was uh... from the writings that we can see after christ but the assumption is is that this was. Probably the same practice that occurred when Jesus was here on earth. There's There were like three s- couches or sofas. And then there was a table sort of in the, the middle. And they would sit on these couches. And there would be three persons that would sit on each couch. So there would be nine people that would sit around this table. And the place of honor was this very first seat. You know, if you think of this as a U, it's sort of the bottom of the U. And the person right in the middle was the most important person. The person to their left was the second most important person, and the one over here on the other side, on the right side, was the third most important. And then, then on the sofa to the left of that one, then the one in the middle was the fourth. The one on their left was the fifth, and the one on their right was the sixth. And then it's the same over here: seven, eight, and nine. So there were. There were positions of importance, and everybody sort of knew what that was. Now, they didn't have place cards. You know, if you've gone to a dinner sometimes, we've, Robbie and I, I guess, being pastor and pastor's wife, we get invited to different events, and sometimes we'll go over to people's houses, and they'll have a bunch of people over, and they'll have little cards, you know, you sit here, and you sit there, and, you know, and things like that. Other people would just do it verbally. There was really no place cards anywhere saying that you sit here, you sit there, but you know the 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 host, either the owner of the house or the maybe a main servant, would uh, sort of seat people in the places of importance. And so if you know number nine was sitting in the position of number one, they might come up to them and say, "Oh, I need you to move. You know, we had the governor show up and we're going to put him in the number one slot." And so you would have to move. And so Jesus is is warning them against this kind of thing uh, and as uh, we sort of mentioned earlier you know this is sort of a call for uh, to to be humble and not to exalt yourself and that's what Jesus says in verse 11 for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled and he who humbles himself will be exalted and so uh, so it's it's that call to, to humility um, anything else? Any other questions or thoughts that you had in, in terms of this uh, parable that Jesus tells to the group?
3: Well, it struck me that in a sense it's really calling them out. It's not just a hypothetical parable. This is when he noticed how they chose the places of honor. Right.
1: It yeah.
3: Was a, a direct
1: review. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and how much does Jesus really care about the actual
0: dinner party? Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Like, it's not really about that. Yeah,
0: yeah. That's just sort of the symptom. Yeah. It's just that he's always looking at the cause of the heart, you know, and uh, our heart condition. Well, you know, the one nice thing about Jesus is he's sort of an equal opportunity offender. He just sort of offends everyone in one sense, you know. I mean, we see that he's talking to sort of the, the whole group, you know, in terms of the issue with... Uh, um, and responding particularly to the lawyers and the Pharisees you know uh, about the Sabbath day and then he turns to the guest and he tells the the parable of the wedding feast and then he says in verse 12 that he said to the man who had invited him so this is the Pharisee whose house that they were meeting in he turns to him and he says when you give a dinner or a banquet, don't invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. So what, what is the point that, that Jesus uh, is making here as he talks to the, the, the owner of the house?
1: Tore up treasure on earth where moth and rust destroy, but sort of became gone, Very similar notion that they keep investing in all the wrong things.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there there is, there is sort of implied in that uh, comment that Jesus makes that this Pharisee was a man of wealth and of, of prominence and stuff, and he hung around with like minded people. And. Uh, but we need to be careful not to put our confidence in that. What what else do you see in that?
3: You don't give to get something in return, right?
2: Giving is not right. something to even to feel better about right. yourself. I mean, it's I mean that's not directly addressed here, but you give to honestly give, and you give to those who can't give back. Yeah, it's truly giving done. Good motives not to give so that you can get favors later for something else. It's not a, it's not a way of self promotion or improving whatever, improving wealth, status, filling the box. Yeah. They, they think they're doing wonderful things during these parties, but they're really just, you know, it's just reaching each other's palms and favors going back and forth. And
0: yeah. And, and 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 you and you see also I think just that the you, you really see the character of God in this in the sense that God is the one that reaches out to the outcast and the poor and and uh, those that others would you know the blind lame and blind and and you see that uh, attitude throughout both the Old and the New Testament all obviously culminating in Christ's sacrifice on the cross but I don't want us to miss too that if you look at the Old Testament. And and you see God's judgment against His people. It wasn't always that they didn't have faith, but it's that they didn't live according to the faith that they profess. And so they didn't have compassion towards the widows and the orphans and, and others. And I think there's a call here to us too as well to to, to care for those that are the outcasts, those that are suffering, those that are, are are going through great difficulty as well um, because we in essence reflect the character of our God I mean you think about who we are you know who we were before we heard the gospel of Jesus Christ and, and even as his children we oftentimes are rebellious and yet his long-suffering and his patience and it makes sense that we exhibit that same kind of, of character so so then somebody pops up and says everyone who will eat the bread of the kingdom of God, or blessed is everyone who will eat the bread in the kingdom of God. In verse 15, um, you know, commentators have different ideas. You know, was this person mocking Jesus? Were they were they being, you know, was this an honest statement or or what? But in response to this, Jesus tells a parable, and he tells about people who were invited to a banquet, and then when the time of the banquet comes, and the the household owner sends out his servants to go tell everybody the banquet is ready and then they come up with all these excuses. What is the point that Jesus is seeking to make here in the the telling of this parable?
1: The Jews have rejected his invitation and so it's going to go elsewhere.
0: Yeah. The least expected. Yeah. Now, um, because if you look at the if you look at this, you have to remember one thing that there's like two invitations that are being sent out. There's one invitation that's being sent out that says, I'm having a banquet. I want you to come to my banquet. And sort of implied in the telling of this parable is that invitation's already sent out, and these people have said, Yes, I'm going to come to this. Okay? But then when the servants come out and say, The banquet is ready, then all of a sudden they come up with excuses. And it's excuses, you know, like, you know, I've just gotten married, and so, you know, I can't bring my wife to a party. I mean, what, what are they saying? Or, you know, I just bought an oxen. You know, I need to go look at What do you mean? You bought this oxen and you didn't even look at it before you paid for it? I mean, if you look at the excuses, they're they're rather lame excuses. And so, uh, you know, it shows that, uh, as Jacob says, that, that Christ is saying that you, Israel, have rejected me but the banquet table will be full. And so, you know, here again, um, you know, it doesn't do my heart well to see that the Israelites, God's Old Testament people, rejected him. But as a Gentile, I'm very thankful that the gospel extends to us, you know, and that we, uh, that he is filling that up. Anyway. Okay, then Christ... Uh, and, and so, in essence, in uh, one sense, he's saying, as far as uh, the man say, you know, blessed is everyone who will eat in the bread of the kingdom of God. There is another sense in which there is a call that Jesus is giving to say, yes, that's true. Blessed is everyone who does that. But have you responded to that call? Are, are you are you rejecting Christ or are you uh, trusting in Him? And as we saw, Israel is not. But there is a sense in which that call goes to us, to every one of us, and uh, to the entire world. Are you going to trust in him? And so Jesus talks about uh, discipleship and what it means to, to follow him. And that's what we see in verses 25 through the end of the chapter. Um, what, what were some questions that you had or things that you noticed, some logic questions and stuff that you saw uh, in this last section? I don't know if this fits...
1: In the logic question category, but the question I had just now is, what what might we say to the person who says, "Well, if if the Jews had accepted the initial invitation, would it not have gone to the Gentiles?" Uh
0: Uh-huh. Is that is that implied, or is that not implied? Yeah. Yeah, I I that's that's a great question. You know. Um. I I don't know. You know.
4: I think if you. to, to try to address that I mean if you look at what Paul says in Romans 11, I think it's very clear that like God not not to take responsibility away from the Jews rejecting Jesus but God ordained that it would happen this way right in order to fulfill his, his purpose of the gospel going to the Gentiles. yeah so it's I mean in a sense that the answer might be yeah maybe. But God made sure that it happened this way, yeah. in order that the that the gospel would go to the Gentiles. It's not that
0: the Jews could mess him up, mess up his plan by accepting invitation versus not.
1: Yeah, yeah. I also think we've seen in Luke already that um, with the Queen of the South and some other examples that have been given, God was already sending out His gospel further to the borders of Israel. Oh yeah, a long time ago. <laughs> so yeah, uh, and Ruth the Moabite. You know, I mean, it's not. This has never been God's intention to keep salvation just to the Israelite people. Um, yeah. So I think it would have spilled over regardless. Yeah. If
2: you look the Old Testament prior to this, you know, prior to Jesus' coming, this is the same thing over and over again. Generally speaking, most of Old Testament Israel was unbelieving. You know, sometimes more than others but it was not like it was just a godly nation or a few unbelievers among the bunch was usually the few that believed and the uh, more that didn't so this is just okay now that your messiah has come well here's your history being played out it's right here most of you aren't going to believe yeah. so it's not like it's a big surprise like all of a sudden Israel was all believing throughout its history and now they just say well, now we're going to reject our messiah we've like, been doing this for millennia and a half here. It's not, nothing new.
1: Well, I think we could extend that to the visible church at large today as well. Yeah. I mean, it's how many of those, at least nominally professing Christ or some association with Christianity are in this boat of, yeah, they
0: kind of pursued the narrow gate, but probably won't really make it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so, you know, what, what do you think... Why is that important for, the, for us as a church to know that? The gospel has to be preached here first. Yeah. I mean, that doesn't mean it can't be preached out there too as well, but you know, we need to constantly be preaching the gospel even amongst ourselves. And stuff because just because you know people come to church doesn't necessarily mean that they're saved. I think it is interesting, you know, with your question, Jacob. That this is a terrible drawing of Israel, but you know, if that if this represented Israel instead of a bean or whatever it looks like, uh, you know, it, it was interesting that the trade routes, the major trade routes, went right through Israel, you know, would go down to, to Egypt and stuff, and then would go over to you know Assyria and, and other places. And right smack dab in the middle of all this was the nation of Israel. And, you know, it it was just the best location for them as a nation as they lived uh, as a faithful people, as a holy people, to be a witness to the nations around them. And yet, as Greg pointed out so well, you know, that wasn't really the case. You know, there were some times more than others where they followed uh, Yahweh, but oftentimes they did not. But that did not stop the Lord from... Uh, giving out his witness and, and even seeing from early on uh, in the Old Testament how God was showing his grace to the Gentiles, even though he had selected a people. We just see examples after example after example of where, you know, whether it's, you know, Rahab uh, or whoever it might be that he showed his grace to Gentiles and stuff. But, okay. Any other comments or questions before we close? It's time. So, well, let's pray. Father, we thank you uh, for your word and we thank you uh, for the the call to us to uh, repent and to believe. Uh, Lord, I pray that. Uh, you would uh, so work in our hearts and in the lives, uh, the life of our church, uh, Lord, to, to be careful to trust you and to believe in you as you are, not as we want to think that you are. Uh, Father, forgive us for our spiritual pride and and sometimes even religious apathy, uh, thinking that that we are better, and yet. We are trusting in ourselves and our, and our own thoughts rather than following you. So I pray that you might cause us to grow in our sanctification, to love you more. We thank you and we pray these things in your name. Amen.